Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and also hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. Today, we're very excited to welcome Wendy Ulrich as our guest. Wendy, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Before we dive into the questions, as a brief introduction, Wendy Ulrich is a member of the Relief Society General Advisory Council, and she served as a missionary in the France-Belgium mission as a young adult, and then she and her husband Dave were mission leaders of the Canada-Montreal mission from 2002 to 2005. She holds a PhD in psychology and education from the University of Michigan and is a psychologist, an author, and management consultant. She and her husband Dave have three children and 10 grandchildren, and Wendy, I just think it's so interesting that your current practice includes a group of mental health professionals specifically dedicated to helping LDS women and their loved ones develop resilience, insight, and faith for their individual personal journeys. I think that's amazing. You're the perfect guest for us. (laughs) Thanks for being here. We'd love to start out with you telling us a little about your profession as a psychologist and what led you to this career and particularly the specialties you currently practice. Oh, that's an interesting question. (laughs) That was a long time coming, actually. I started out at BYU in secondary education and then got an MBA from UCLA, thought I wanted to do organizational psychology sorts of stuff. And Mm -hmm. Then my husband, who was getting his Ph.D. at UCLA at that time, made me realize that a Ph.D. was possible. I'd never considered that Mm. as an option. Neither of my parents even graduated from college. You know, I just didn't even look at that as an option at all. But when I saw him do it, it was like, oh, I see how this works. So you break it down in pieces and you do one at a time. Okay, (laughs) I could probably do that. So I was at that point trying to decide between a couple of different options to whether to go on with business or whether to to look at psychology. And I was reading a book one day. It said, what would you do if you were guaranteed success? What would you do with your life? And I immediately knew I'd be a psychologist, Hmm. which really confused me because I had been trying to figure out that question at one level for a long time. Mm-hmm. But the question was worded, what would you do if you were guaranteed success? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's what it is. I care enough about this that I'm afraid to fail at it. I'm afraid mm-hmm. I'll be bad at it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care as much about this other field that I'm considering so it doesn't feel as risky somehow to my whole identity as a human being. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then I thought, well, it would be really stupid to spend five to seven years of your life getting a PhD in something you only chose because you didn't care enough about it mm-hmm. to be so afraid that you would fail. And I decided even if I'm not good at this, even if it doesn't work out, even if I fail at it, I will feel better about myself if I took the risk. Yeah, pursuing what you really cared about. What I really cared about. And you had young children at this time, I did. I had two young children. I had my third child in the middle of finals week of my first first year in my PhD program. So I spent the first year in my PhD program pregnant. And let me just be clear, I don't get postpartum depression. I get prepartum depression. I am a basket case the entire time I'm pregnant. The minute the baby's born, I am like a different person. (laughs) 
So it was a rough year, and I was trying to take a lot of hours to get a lot done before he was born. Because after he was born, I was nursing the baby in class in my doctoral program. So I was trying to get a lot done, and it was a crazy year. Anyway, we survive. We muddle. Mm -hmm. People say to me and my husband, how did you do this stuff? And we just say, we have no idea. Looking back, how to do it? We muddle through. You know, we'd figure it out a little bit at a time. We'd try something. If that didn't work, we'd try something else. We neglected our children a lot, I'm sure, is part of it. (laughs) But we had good friends who were trying to do similar things. We'd trade off child care and... We got through it. So that's how I ended up in psychology and was in private practice in Michigan for a lot of years working probably about half and half with LDS clients and non-LDS other clients, which was a marvelous experience. Just uh, really enjoyed both of those perspectives and opportunities. I don't see private clients anymore, but I work with a couple of other colleagues to do these little seminar kinds of things that are sort of one-day retreats, and that's been really fun as well Mm -hmm. to get a small group of LDS women together who are just amazing people and talk about the things we care about. So Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed that as well. That's amazing. I imagine that brings a lot of support for them to having the group of peers and then Mm -hmm. the professionals too to kind of guide them. I think that's Mm -hmm. really amazing. It's fun. Well, and what I thought about is you have heard literally what is on the minds of Latter-day Saint (laughs) women and what concerns them and what motivates them and a valuable perspective to bring to our conversation today, but to (laughs) the Relief Society General Advisory Council and Mm -hmm. You know, we were 20 years raising our family in Michigan. I grew up in California. This is the first time I've lived in Utah other than at BYU. So, yeah, Ann Arbor was a very vibrant community with a lot of very smart people in it who were members of the church and a lot of amazing conversations and things that we tried to do and ways we tried to build bridges with the inner city community and tried to build bridges across women who were staying at home and feeling sort of like second-class citizens because they didn't have some amazing career Mm -hmm. and women who were trying to do a career who felt like second-class citizens in the church because they weren't at home full-time. And we'd constantly be trying to figure this out. And Mm -hmm. how do we all learn to just respect and love each other? And Mm -hmm. I would say that's true in my family today. I have two daughters who are pursuing career options who also have children. I have a daughter-in-law who has five kids. She's got her work cut out for her and trying to figure this all out and make sure that everybody knows everybody is fine. You know, (laughs) there is no judgment here on either side Mm -hmm. is, I hope what we're yeah, trying to do. Helping people feel secure in, yeah. in the path in the that choices they've that they've made. I mean, I felt so guided spiritually in the choice that I made. When I decided to go to school, it wasn't just that decision. That moment of this is what I think I want was followed by a lot of soul searching mm-hmm. about is this really what the Lord wants me to do? Is this really the path that I should take? These are the challenges for me personally, but for my family, and received a crystal clear confirmation. Wow move forward. And in Mm -hmm. fact, once I had made that decision, it was move forward and don't slow down. Go fast, go now, go hard. Hmm. I ended up taking the test I had to take to even apply to the... I was thinking, you know, my husband was at the end of his PhD program, and we didn't even know where we were going to go yet. And I was like, we'll wait till we figure out where we are. Now I know what I'm doing. I'll look around, see what the schools are. We'll figure it out from there. 
And the minute I started thinking that, it was like, no, I already told you, you're going to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> that little idea that came into my head three years ago that made no sense to me at all at the time, that's where we're going? <laughs> that, that Really? Okay. So I started looking at schools in Ann Arbor and... I had to take both the GRE and the GRE in psychology, which oh, I wow. had no background in psychology. I didn't have a major in psychology. I was applying to this program that I didn't know anything about. I mean, it was just like, no, go now. The deadlines had already passed. I walked in as a walk-in person to see if I could take those tests. It was this crazy, weird day <laughs> where it was like everything went wrong that could go wrong. But it was like, no, you do it now wow. in three weeks. Go. And once I got to Michigan, I was accepted into the program I applied for, and they actually discontinued that program the following year. Oh, so hence the urgency. <laughs> yeah. And what I like about what you're saying is we really need to respect that everyone has gone through that soul searching and to decide the path for them mm -hmm. and, and the path that they're pursuing. And we should have nothing but respect for whatever that path looks like if people are doing it prayerfully and with all of their heart. Let's just respect the women yeah. for the different choices that they make and, yeah. and the effort that they're putting into it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So we talked, Wendy, before the interview that you have authored books on various subjects in the church, women in the priesthood, women in the temple. Obviously, you have your mental health expertise. And so we thought a lot about what we could talk about with you today. But as we prepared for the interview and asked you what was on your mind, we ended up kind of landing on this topic of how difficult uncertainty can be and how taxing that can be. And that's something that we have all experienced a lot of in the last year, it isn't it? one of those years, hasn't it? Yeah. Yes. yes, lots of uncertainty. So whether it's feeling uncertain about what happens next and how bad is it going to be and <laughs> yeah. what am I going to have to deal with next? Yeah. And even when it's not a global pandemic, everyday uncertainty is something that we all face. So we wanted to talk with you based on your perspective and expertise. What are principles? What are things that we can use and rely on to deal with this uncertainty that's just a part of life? It is just a part of life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And we've had it in spades, you know, in the last little while here. But yeah, it is a part of all of our lives at one level or another. And it's kind of been frustrating for a lot of us to feel like, I just feel like I'm grumpy all the time, mm -hmm. or I'm just <laughs> depressed, or I'm just anxious all the time, or I just feel like I'm on edge. And I think we all deserve a little compassion for ourselves and for yes. each other in yes. that, because the brain actually interprets uncertainty for the most part as a threat. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this background program running in our brains all the time that... This heightened like stress yeah, and... This heightened sort of sense of, okay, be on guard, be alert, be paying attention because you don't know what's going on here. This is not familiar territory. So you need to be paying attention in a way that you don't normally go around paying attention, mm -hmm. you know? And so it just kind of is draining for a lot of us. Oh, um, yeah. But there are some things that we can do to help with that uncertainty. And I think one of the first ones for me has been to realize that uncertainty is not just a negative. It's not just a threat. It is also an opportunity. That means we're going to learn something. There's an opportunity to do something different. There's an opportunity to try something new. There's an opportunity to recognize a problem I didn't even know I had and find some new solutions. And I'm going to grow in that process 
process. And I think we can look back, most of us, and see some learning, some growth that has come out of that year that we've been through, for more than a year now mm -hmm. for us personally, but for the church, for organizations. Yes, we don't always do very well with that. And it can also stir up a lot more uncertainty and a lot more tension that creates additional problems. But there are things we would never do Zoom if we had a choice, right? It's, you know, <laughs> Who would choose that? <laughs> who would choose that? It's not fun. It's complicated. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't it's not feel as good. for some people. It, yeah, it, it's taken us a long time to learn it. But the General Advisory Council of the Relief Society can be all over the world in a given week because we've all had to figure out this technology that we would never have put up with or seen as a viable option otherwise. My husband was the most frequent flyer on Delta Airlines many years in a row. That's how much travel he did. Wow. He hasn't been on an airplane in a year and a half now. Wow. And yet he can be in the Middle East, South America, California, New York, and Asia, and London all so far this week without leaving his office. Wow. You know, oh, so my goodness. There are opportunities if in the uncertainty if we can calm ourselves down enough. And that's the trick, is how do you give up needing to be in control, which is how we manage our anxiety enough to say, okay, I'm not going to be in control of all this. I don't even know what the right answer is here, mm -hmm. let alone how to get to it. Mm -hmm. But that feeling of control about where does the safety lie is insidious because we want to go to the things that we feel safe with that make us feel in control. And I think what we're having to learn is the Lord is in control, and that's where my safety lies. So can I increase my faith and trust in Him so that I'm not feeling like it's all up to me? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm going to have to do some things, too. I'm going to have to grow. I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to experiment. I'm going to have to take some risks, and they will not all work well. I will fail at some things in the process, and that's okay. That's not a tragedy. That's mm -hmm. just life, mm -hmm. and that's how we grow. When I am dealing with this uncertainty, it's been funny because during the pandemic, I felt pretty good at first. I was like, oh, this is going to be exciting. Our family's good. Like, we can work from home. I can do these activities with my kids that I wanted to do. We felt we were fine. But I was having such a difficult time. I think it was even like the subconscious uncertainty, you know, that was affecting me. So I was really having this difficulty, like, why am I feeling this way? And why is it so hard for me? And so it's been kind of neat, actually, that it's a pretty shared experience that we can all relate to and then start having compassion for each other. But then I'm also thinking, regardless of a worldwide pandemic, I'm just thinking of my own experiences and the experiences of others in my life when we've had these feelings of uncertainty in our marriages or with our kids at different stages and even in our own beliefs. And it does kind of make it hard to function in other areas of our lives when we just have this Looming, looming uncertainty. Yes, looming mm -hmm. uncertainty. And uh, for me, especially, you, you mentioned control, and it's easy just to want to fix it and be able to just move on from these difficulties. But I'm just wondering, how can we be more consistent in our growth and continue to have hope when we do feel torn about our feelings or just impatient, just waiting for things to end or things to get better? Yeah, that waiting for things to end is where we'd like to stay. You know, okay, I can hang on for a while mm -hmm. if I know we're going to get better. Mm -hmm. It's when we're hanging on and we don't know. 
how it's going to turn out. We don't know if that child is coming back to church. We don't yeah. know if I'm ever going to get married. We don't know if mm-hmm. when um, I'm going to have a baby. Or, when I'm going to mm-hmm. have a baby or if I even want a baby. or mm-hmm. <laughs> It's when I don't know how it's going to turn out that things get really dicey for us sometimes. There's a wonderful man named Vaclav Havel who was a playwright and the first president of the Free Republic of Czechoslovakia or something like that. Anyway, he was the first president of that new government when it became a free country and a playwright. This is an interesting combination, yeah. right? Playwright politician. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But he makes the statement, and I've seen different translations of it, but I found it so useful to think about. He says, hope is not a prognostication. So that's a word we don't use very often. But think of prognosis. Prognosis is how's it going to end up? Mm-hmm. Well, we think you're going to die or we think you're going to live or, you know, we th- this is the prognosis. It's not that. Hope is not based in how things are going to turn out. Hope is an orientation that no matter what happens, it can have meaning. And that's been really helpful for me to contemplate, that it's not about making sure everything turns out the way I want it to. It's about recognizing that, especially through the gospel of Jesus Christ and in my relationship with him and in solidifying my own values and living my own values, no matter what happens, it can be meaningful and it can be valuable and it can work to good ends and for learning and growth. As I rely on the Savior, as I rely on the Lord, and as I rely on the people around me and on my own capacity to be resilient. I remember walking down the street one day and and I was thinking about something someone had said to me about, I don't trust God. I thought, yeah, I've been there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I realized, no, I'm at a place in my life now where I really do trust God. I don't trust He will always answer my prayers the way I want Him to, or on the time frame I want Him to, or that I'll always feel close to Him even. But I trust Him to come back. I have learned that He may feel distant from me for a while. Usually when I'm distancing from Him is usually the problem. But he always comes back. And there's an interesting idea with that in psychology that little babies don't have what we call object constancy. That means if you put a little ball in front of a six-month-old child and then you cover it up with the cloth, they just look away. They were interested in the ball. They think it's gone. And it takes a long time for them to learn something is still there when you can't see it. And how do they learn that? Well, you play peekaboo with them. Mommy hides, and then she comes back. You cover up the ball, and then it comes back. And that repeated sense of things go away for a while, but then they come back. Oh, they're still in the same place. Oh, mommy left, but here she is again. That's what builds that sense of object constancy with people or with things. And I think many times the Lord is trying to teach us object constancy with him by going away, at least in our perception. Mm -hmm. He's not really away. He's still exactly where he was. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to bring him inside of ourselves as something that holds, not just something that we can only trust when he's right there in front of Mm -hmm. us. That's such a great Um, comparison. Mm -hmm. And so I remember walking down the street and saying, so Heavenly Father, I think I really have gotten to the place where I do trust you. And I heard this little voice in my head say, yes, and Wendy, I trust you too. And I was immediately like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. That's a very, very bad idea. You know, you should not trust me. And the sense that I had was, well, why do you trust me? Because I, I know you always come back. And then there was just like this, mm-hmm, 
pause, and I got it. Oh, I guess I always come back too. And I can trust myself with that Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, I've been away sometimes. You know, I've been mad sometimes. I've been frustrated sometimes. I've been lost sometimes. But somehow he comes back. Somehow I come Mm -hmm. back. And in that, I think there is great hope that this is working to our growth and Mm -hmm. to our learning and to our ability to hold on to the things we're supposed to be remembering, Mm -hmm. that we're reminded every week when we take the sacrament. (laughs) Remember, 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 because that's the way we internalize this growth Mm -hmm. and this presence of God in our lives. Your description of this conversation, it sounds like a relationship, and it sounds like that's what a covenant is. I think sometimes we feel like, oh, a covenant means like a perfect, obedient, you know, I am right here all the time. But that's more what a relationship sounds like to me is sometimes I walk away and I make mistakes, but I always come back. Yeah. And I really like that idea. Matter of fact, I think we misunderstand the concept of intimacy, emotional intimacy with another human being. If we think it only means that moment of connection Mm -hmm. when you feel like, ah, we get each other. Mm -hmm. That is not what it is. It is this coming and going. Every relationship needs both distance and connection. Mm -hmm. It's not just one or the other. With our spouse, with our children, we need both distance when we get stronger in our sense of who we are and what we value and what we think and our own identity and connection when we make that connection with another human being and And learn who they are. Strengths that we've built. Well said, yes. We both bring what we've learned and what we're experiencing, which enriches the relationship further. Definitely. I wonder, too, if you could share, it, it sounds almost like this epiphany that you you recognize, like, no, I do trust God. For people who don't feel that way right now and yearn for that, what are some steps they can take to move toward that? Oh, such a good question. And as I say, I get it. That is a hard, hard place to be. And we can be there for hours, days, months, years, where we just don't really feel that closeness. This is a very personal journey for me. I don't know that the things that were helpful to me are helpful to everyone. Matter of fact, I know they probably aren't. But for me personally, it was recognizing that I was the one who, despite the fact that I thought I was pounding on the door, knocking, waiting for the Lord to let me in, that the door to the soul opens in. I was the one who wasn't really opening that door with preconceptions I had about how independent I was supposed to be or who God was or what that answer would feel like or look like or just my own feeling of, I can do it, I can do it all by myself or, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, Lots of different things were keeping me from opening the door. And some of it was just being still, just being quiet enough just being willing to let God be with me in stillness and in quiet, Mm -hmm. to be willing to just assume He is there and look for how, not if, was a helpful thing to me. When I was practicing trying to get that into my head, I decided, all right, I'm going to find any empty chair in the room and assume God's in the empty chair, uh, that Christ is there with me. I'm just going to assume He's there and let myself settle into that. Let myself just feel that. Imagine that He doesn't have to be talking, telling me what to do, giving me instructions, reassuring me I'm wonderful. Can I just assume He's there? And that has been very helpful to me. It's just a practice in 
getting it into my head. I control more of this than I think I do. Mm -hmm. He's exactly where he is all the time. Am I open to whatever that is, Mm -hmm. uh, is my part of the deal. That's beautiful. As we look back to the uncertainty we faced, you know, as the pandemic was unfolding, and what I think about now is that a lot of people have become pretty comfortable with this new normal, right? Mm-hmm. They're comfortable working from home. They're comfortable now mm-hmm. doing church at home. Especially Shayla and I were talking, I had a baby during that time. And it's been so great that I Hopefully. could just get on Zoom. You know, I would have been away from church for months, but I still got to participate when I was able to. I think some of us have gotten used to this slower pace. Our schedules are not as jam-packed, but we're sort of facing a return to many of these activities, including church on Sundays and activities throughout the week. So how can we be more comfortable with this transition that's going to be happening? And maybe the uncertainty of, well, what happens now? If we're feeling a little bit resistant to like, I don't want to go back to what it was. I think people are going to find their own answers. This brings up another word that we don't like very much, which is paradox. We don't like it when it seems like there are two sort of good things Mm -hmm. that seem like they're opposites, and we're trying to figure out how to reconcile these. I like church. I like community. There's good things there. I had a whole lifestyle built on that for decades of my life. I like this other way. There's good things about this. (laughs) I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to take a shower. You know, um, How do I navigate this paradox? People often use the word managing paradox. My husband's really a stickler on you don't manage a paradox. You don't wrestle it to the ground and Mm -hmm. manage it. You navigate it. Mm -hmm. You navigate between these polarities that both have truth in them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we do that by balancing a little of this and a little of that. Sometimes we navigate it by, well, I need to get around this obstacle, so I'm going to go a little closer to this side. Or I want a little more of the tree over there, so I'm going a little more to that side. Sometimes we're really trying to say, how do I get both of these things in my life in a way that is a sort of a new way of understanding the world that transcends this paradox with a new value, a new system? I like that. One of the great founding fathers in psychology was once asked, how many of your clients actually get better? You know, this was Carl Jung, and he was mm-hmm. an early, early name in this field where, you know, was this even really working? Sure. And he apparently thought about it for a minute and said, none of them. And the guy was like, well, why, you know, he said. Why are you admitting to that? Yeah. But he said, but a few of them do manage to transcend the problem that they came in with. And I think that's been very helpful to me because often we are looking for a cure. We're looking for a return to what we had before. We're looking for a way to fix this, to get it back to what felt comfortable once upon a time. The dean of the School of Nursing at BYU gave a talk years ago about the Lord never promised us cure. He promised us healing, and there's a difference. Cure is a return to the way things were, fixing what was wrong. Healing means something different, something about finding a new way to find peace with it or finding some way to grow from it or finding some way to change it enough that you can manage it a little better or that you can't change it at all, but you've learned how to really get crystal clearer about what your values are and live those values, even without your circumstances changing at all. Mm -hmm. 
So there are lots of interesting things. When I see a paradox, I'm always trying to figure out how do you transcend it? Mm -hmm. And I think the gospel is a great transcender that takes us out of the moment that we're in and gives us a bigger picture of the purpose of life, of why we're here, of the bigger picture of immortality and eternity, the bigger picture of relationships, the bigger picture of our relationship with our own body, let alone the relationships we have with other people and the circumstances around us. Mm So, yeah, how are we going to figure, well, we're, we're not just going to go back to mm. the way things were. We're going to not just fix it. We're going to try to take the things we've learned from this and rebalance things a little bit mm-hmm. and sort of say, okay, have I gone too far one way and I need to get back in the middle of the channel between these two straights, you know, mm-hmm. between the, the straight between these two walls? Mm-hmm. Or what's going to be the new normal? Mm-hmm. Because we're not going to just go back. You never can put your foot in the same river twice and expect to touch the same water. You know, Mm -hmm. it's always going to be an evolving thing. It's not going to be a fix or a cure. It's going to be healing. And I just love that because I've experienced deaths of loved ones during the pandemic. And it's just like, that's something you can't fix. You can't get back. You're not going to get that back. And so I love the idea of just navigating this new experience and finding healing and that applying to seemingly smaller things as well in our lives. Like, but I like doing church from home with my kids because I can kind of manage that situation a little bit better and and Mm -hmm. then just trying to find Mm -hmm. ways to combine those Which, what a wonderful thing to learn. So, okay, is there anything stopping me from continuing to have church at home with my kids? Of course not. You know, In addition to going to church. Yeah. So we've really figured out. I can't tell you how many people I have heard say, I've sort of figured out now what this looks like, how to make it more fun for my children, how we can bring our family together, even though we live across four states. All of those kinds of things Mm -hmm. are part of the good that's come into this, Mm -hmm. that we can find ways to hold, perhaps. And I think what I've heard you say now a couple times is the word experiment and and being comfortable with, we're going to try this and, oh, I didn't like that. And we're going to try this. And it's like, oh, that actually worked pretty well. I think sometimes I have sort of a black and white mentality and it's like, I have to figure out the best way, the right way right now. And it has to be perfect. And it's like, no, we could just experiment. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. experiment means a risk Mm -hmm. and the risk is real, but we are here to risk I remember being taught in primary when I was a little kid once, and I think probably must have heard it more than once because I sticks in my mind. We're trying to get back to Heavenly Father in as close as we can to the perfect, innocent state we were in when we left Him. That's our goal, just to be, say, as pure as you are right now kind of idea. And I've thought about that as an adult and thought, that's preposterous. (laughs) I mean, if that were the goal, we would all be better off dying young or never getting out of our crib. That is not the goal. The goal is to learn by our own experience. And the atonement of Christ is what makes that possible. We can have absolute confidence that He will make it all okay, that we can afford to take the risks that will hurt us and that will hurt others sometimes, that we're like, ah, how do you ever fix this? If you break this thing in yourself or in someone else, how do I deal with the things other people use their agency to do that hurt me? Mm -hmm. Well, He's got a plan. 
And he has a path through that that mm-hmm. we can find as we rely on that and increase our faith in him. But we are here to experiment and to learn and to take risks, smart risks, not stupid risks, hopefully, <laughs> you know, but to learn from those. I love the statement from Carol Dweck, who teaches a lot about resilience, um, Stanford educator. And she said, I learned from the kids who were the most resilient. They didn't think about it the same way I did when they failed. I was trying to figure out what's the difference between kids who fail and they just get back up and keep trying and the kids who fail and give up and hide and Mm -hmm. feel defeated. And she said, I realized that the kids who I was trying to figure out, the ones who were resilient, they didn't think of it as failing. They just thought they were learning. Hmm. And that was like fireworks going off. Okay, I'm not failing. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And, and this is just the process of learning. That's really yeah. encouraging. Well, we'd love to continue drawing on your experience as a mental health professional, but also a member of the Relief Society General Advisory Council with this next question, because you've likely encountered many women who have had these similar experiences. So you mentioned the word paradox, and I just am thinking, what do we do when our experiences don't fit the experiences that others are having, especially in the church, because there's not a mold for church members, but sometimes we still feel that, and we kind of feel like an outsider if our experiences aren't matching up. For example, in addition to knowing people who aren't even able to have children, Carly and I know some people who don't necessarily want to have children for one reason or another, and both can be very difficult to navigate when there are so many expectations around motherhood. But there's also people who have been divorced or who are dealing with difficult questions about their faith, like we've talked about, and who have children or spouses who've left the church or who have loved ones that identify as LGBTQ and All of these experiences can just create so many contradictory feelings for members of the church. So we would just love to know what advice do you have for those of us in these situations and advice for those of us who want to support others in these situations? There are three words that are really helpful to me in a lot of situations. This is one of them, and they all start with C. The first one is we can calm down. Mm. We can just all just calm ourselves down a little bit. When we start to get riled up about nobody likes me or nobody understands this issue in my life or why are people trying to show up here who don't understand what the standards of the church are or whichever Mm -hmm. side of this issue that we Uh struggle with, if we can just calm ourselves down a little bit and say, okay, let's just take a deep breath and let's just let ourselves think about this a little bit. What are the values that are important to me in this situation? What's the most benevolent explanation I can think of for why other people are acting the way they are that I'm attributing to? They're just a bunch of, you know, whatevers. <laughs> Is there a more benevolent explanation that I can think of if I'm a little calmer that might help me be a little more patient? that might help me be a little more patient with myself. Because a lot of times, it's two parts of myself that are battling it out. You know, that you should be this. No, I don't want to be that. You should be that. Yeah, you should be, you know, and we're dealing with it in our own. Let's just calm down. What's a more benevolent explanation? And that sort of leads to the second C, which is curious. 
Can I just be curious about myself and about other people? Mm. Can I just be willing to say, tell me what this is like for you? I don't have to have answers. I don't have to have answers even for myself. Just what's going on here? What's this like for you? What's your experience been with this? Does this help me make sense of this other person? Does this help me make sense of myself a little better when I'm calm and curious? And then we need that third C, which is compassionate. Can I treat myself with compassion? Yeah, this is hard. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do something that I haven't really seen other people do, that other people haven't really supported very well, that I've gotten a lot of messages about that aren't really lining up with my personal experience right now. Can I be calm, curious, and compassionate with myself? Can I be calm, curious, and compassionate with other people? Can I treat them with the respect and politeness and compassion that I am hoping for from them? And when I see people whose experience is different from my own, can I give them that same, let me be calm, let me mm -hmm. be curious. I want to get to know you as a person. Tell me what this has been like for you. What can I do to be helpful? How can we be supportive? Those are three words that have been helpful to me. We are trying to do something that really is very crazy when you think about it. We are trying to build what we call Zion. And Zion is a place where there are no poor among us. Now, we can take that literally as everybody's basic needs need to be met, and that would be a great place to start. But I think it also means if you aren't poor, it means you have excess to give. And I think what it's saying is everyone has something to contribute to mm -hmm. the whole. Everyone does. All of the experiences that we have as we try to build Zion together contribute to the whole and help us all grow and open up a little more to being more like our Heavenly Parents and like our Savior. So we're trying to open those things up a little more as we are trying to build Zion as a place where, yes, we make sure everyone knows that they will be fed here, their basic needs will be met, but more than just their basic needs being met, we need something from them. This is not just a one-way street. They have something to teach me that will help me be a better person that will help me grow. How do we create that in Zion? We've also been told that Zion will be the only place on earth where people will not be at war with each other and where everyone who is not willing to lift up their sword against their neighbor will be fleeing to Zion. Now, Zion has a broad definition. It's not Salt Lake City. It's not mm -hmm. Independence, Missouri. Mm -hmm. It's the stakes of Zion are all over the world. So that's something to remember in that. But the point for me is we need to be learning the skills of managing conflict, not just ignoring it and not escalating it. But the skills of really learning to listen to each other, really learning to respect other points of view, really learning to make room for a lot of different people coming from a lot of different places. And the only thing that we may have in common is we're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to do our best to find our place in this community. And everyone who is willing to have that in common, come here and let's figure it out together. But I think those are skills we need to be learning now in our political discourse, in our mm -hmm. Sunday school classes, in our families, in our communities, when we're dealing with our own family members, when we're dealing with ourselves, when we're dealing with people from all over the world. Are we learning and practicing the skills of peace? That seems to be something we can do now to be building Zion. Those are such concrete things that I'm just thinking like, I can do that yeah. in this relationship and I can do this here and I can do this on a broader level. In this. And to myself, that yes. was really helpful too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just calm down. That's probably the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
No, That's thank really you. Neat. Thank you so much for sharing that. You answered that so directly. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. I'm not saying that's easy, by the way. No, not no. easy for me. I can get really riled up when somebody, you know, says something that I'm like, what? You know, yeah. I can get pretty mad and I have to practice. Okay, let me give them like this is the moment benevolent explanation let me calm myself down okay i may need to go vent to somebody for Mm -hmm. a while and then let me come back and get curious about why is this riling me up so much what is it triggering in me and how can i grow in some compassion for myself in this moment when i am not living my values and i'm mad at myself (laughs) about it you know no it's okay just we're not failing we're learning you know so oh it's so valuable Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And you've shared so many things that are so simple to take away. We've asked some very complicated questions, I think, that just have complexities to them. And I just appreciate how you've broken things down. And I just feel like, personally, I can very easily take some things away from this and start doing them today. Before we wrap up, Wendy, is there anything else you'd like to say to the women in the church or to the listeners of the podcast? We always get to choose how to live our values regardless of the circumstances that we're in. And if we can get as clear as we can about our own personal values, if we can look at a difficult situation in which we find ourselves and say, okay, 20 years from now when this is a distant memory, what can I do now that will allow me later to think, okay, I did okay? It can help us, I think, to get the clarity that we need about what I do control, even amidst what I do not control. There's plenty we don't control. But the Savior never promised to change all our circumstances. He never promised to free Israel from Rome. He never promised to be the Messiah they were looking for, which was somebody who changed their circumstances. He promised to give them peace despite their circumstances. And that is his promise to us today. I trust in that promise. It doesn't always come easily. Sometimes we have to sort through a lot of things to get to that peace. But I have found that when I am honest with myself, not just about my weaknesses, but about my intentions, about what I was trying to do, even if I didn't succeed at it, about the things that are just part of life, that are just the human frailties that we came here to experience, then I can get to a place where I can feel his peace if I trust that he really is there and wants to give it to me. And that has been my experience, I would say my witness of who he is. He is there for us. He gets what it means to be human. And he is not trying to circumvent the process here by getting us all to be somehow perfect in some way we never can figure out. (laughs) Um, This is what it is. This is life. And his atonement makes this doable and gives us hope no matter where we are on the journey. That's beautiful. Thank you for teaching about the atonement of Jesus Christ. I feel like all throughout this conversation, I've learned more about that as you've related it to these other concepts. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. It's been so wonderful to be able to talk with you. Thank you for having me. You are thoughtful, interesting people to have a conversation with. So thank you you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. And we actually have a big favor to ask. If you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, we ask that you would go to your favorite podcast platform, click subscribe, and leave a rating or review. We read all of them, and it just really gives us 
a great perspective on where we can move forward. We also encourage you to share this episode with a friend or family member, maybe someone who came to mind or who would benefit from this wonderful conversation we had today with Wendy. You can even just mention it in conversation or send someone a quick text or social media message with the link. We also want to make everyone aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's on the church's website, the Gospel Library app, Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms. And we just want to say thanks so much for your support. Yes. And if there is a topic that you would like to hear addressed or a guest that you would love to hear from, please let us know. You can contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. And to close and wrap things up, we'd like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast and make it a possibility. And until next week, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.